Good morning. Welcome to our next online worship together. We at Kirkpatrick may be apart physically, but we gather on a Sunday morning like this to praise God together. What a blessing that we have technology and a facility to do that in these strange times. We're continuing where we left off last week and and looking at the call in the life of Abram. And later we'll be looking at some of the books uh, in Genesis that reference him. But let me take you to the other side of the Bible and look at Galatians chapter 3. And in this chapter alone he's mentioned eight times, all in relation to his faith and walk with God. They read, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. That means that anybody who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to fail. How amazing. We're saved through faith. We can't be saved through our own efforts. We'd only fail. We are saved through faith, just like Abraham. We're saved not through our goodness, but through God's grace. Not through our faithfulness, but through Christ's. And not through our power, but the Spirit's. Through faith, we simply receive a salvation that we could never earn. And as we gather, we are here to praise that God together. So let's lift our voices and sing our praises to our God and our King. Let's pray together now. O Lord our God, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Sovereign God, forgive us for the times this week when we have significantly fallen short of a life full of your love and your grace. Give us courage to acknowledge our sin before you and others so that we may know your forgiveness and learn how to forgive others. Thank you for your unfailing love for us. Show us the areas of life close to your love and help us open them fully to you now that we may live uh, a life with you in us and that you would work through us. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, We are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. Father God, receive our praise today. Amen. As I said, we're continuing to look at the life and call of Abram. And as we do that, we're going to look at today's passage and it's in Genesis chapter 12. So pause this video and get out your Bibles and we'll look and read that together now. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem 
At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now, there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Last week we started our new series, uh, one that's going to run right through the autumn time. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis and we're reading together the story of Abraham. In the first episode we met Abram. Uh, we learned that he was the son of Terah. He's a, a Shemite, so a, a descendant of Noah. And he's living in a strange place, Ur of the Chaldeans. We noticed a couple of words that God spoke to Abram. The first word God spoke to him was leave. Leave this strange place that you find yourself in. And we noticed that life with God always begins with this call to leave. To leave the life that we're living, the culture that we're a part of, and to enter into a new life and a new community in the kingdom of Jesus. We notice too God's second word to Abram. After God says leave, he says go. He says go to a place that I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you now, but just set off. Go. In time, I'll make it clear to you. But in the meantime, I need you to trust me. I want you to learn to live by faith. I know because some of you have told me during this week that you really heard God speak to you through this part of his word last week. Uh, you have a renewed sense of wanting to go again uh, to re-energize your journey with Jesus. You want to trust God in fresh ways for these times that we're living in. That's brilliant. All of this these last couple of weeks has reminded me of one of my favorite passages in all of fiction. Tolkien's opening pages of The Hobbit. The story begins, uh, you may remember, with the domestic world of a hobbit. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole. 
filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that meant comfort. Having introduced us to the domestic world of hobbits in general, Tolkien sets out uh, to introduce us to one hobbit in particular, the one who's going to be the hero of his story. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighbourhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable, not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any subject without the bother of asking him. This is the story of how Bilbo Baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost his neighbour's respect, but he gained, well, you'll have to see whether he gained anything in the end. Almost as soon as we're introduced to this comfort-loving, adventure-fearing Bilbo Baggins, we meet Gandalf a mysterious travelling wizard. He's called this day on Bilbo Baggins, and after a few pleasantries and a few smoke rings, Gandalf cuts to the quick. I have no time to blow smoke rings this morning. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging, and it is very difficult to find any. As I say, um, reading the Abraham Call narrative put me in mind of this wonderful passage. Long before Gandalf had ever been invented, had ever spoken to Bilbo, God speaks to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans and invites him on this glorious adventure. The Hobbit passage for me echoes other key call passages in scripture. So take, for example, the call passages in the Gospels where Jesus calls his disciples. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus approaches his disciples and he simply says to them, come, follow me. Short and to the point, but there's a whole world in that three-word invitation. I'm looking for someone to go on an adventure. Jesus is asking them to join him on the adventure of a lifetime. He's inviting them to a life in the kingdom of God, a life so rich that he describes it elsewhere as life to the full. Listen, this offer, this invitation that Jesus offered wasn't taken up by everyone who heard it. As Gandalf says, when you're inviting people on an adventure, it can be very hard to find people. You see, we're all like hobbits. We like our comforts. We like our certainties. We'd rather watch other people go on adventures and live vicariously through them. We'd rather settle for the dull that we know than to push into the unknown adventure that Jesus calls us to. We'd rather live with what we can already see than what lies unseen up the road. We'd rather live by sight than by faith. Last week, 
we saw that Abram did obey God's call. This invitation to a life of adventure. In verse 1, God calls him to leave his country, his people, his father's household. And in verse 4, we're told, so Abram left, as the Lord had told him. The Hebrew verbs in verse 1 and verse 4 are an exact match. God says, leave, Abraham leaves. The narrator wants us to know that Abraham did exactly as God told him. So the overall impression you get from the first nine verses of Genesis 12 is that Abram makes a good start in his life with God. Twice in verses 7 and 9, we're told that Abraham builds an altar to worship God. So he's heard God's call, he's obeyed it, and now he's worshipping. It's all good. As we said last week, the New Testament writers interpreted this action for us and told us that Abraham was living by faith. So, we say to ourselves, Abram's a man of faith. Let's study Abram's life. Let's notice all those occasions when he was faithful. And let's see if we can learn to emulate him. If we could become as faithful to Jesus as Abraham was to God. Let's see if we can become women and men of faith like Abraham. That sounds like a really plausible strategy for discipleship. Until we get to today's reading. In this episode, Abraham faces two tests. And he fails them both. Completely. The narrator tells us of the first test in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Uh, by the way, that, that's the ultimate challenge for a, a father or a parent of a household in Abraham's agrarian world. Actually, it still is. Every parent will know the burden and the responsibility of keeping their loved ones fed and watered and the bills paid in general. So Abram's being asked a question that we're being asked all the time. Will God provide? We don't have to wait too long for the answer. The narrator follows up the announcement of the famine immediately with the news that Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. He doesn't trust God. Instead, he takes matters into his own hands. We need to pause for a second here to get a good look at this, because the passage doesn't say explicitly that Abram was wrong to go to Egypt, but I'm pretty sure that it implies just as much. Let me show you three strands very quickly in the story that bring me to that conclusion that Abram's lacking faith. Firstly, by now, Abram's supposed to be committed to the land of Canaan. Just in case you missed it, verse 1 of chapter 12, God calls him to the land that I will show you. And then in verse 7, when he's arrived at Shechem in Canaan, God says to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. This land here in Canaan, that's what I'm giving you. Abram by now is supposed to be committed to this land, the ground beneath his feet. Scurrying off to Egypt shows a lack of faith. A second reason why we should probably understand Abraham here as acting faithlessly. Other passages in the book of Genesis show people relocating in a direct response to God's command. 
well, there's no record here that Abraham's supposed to go to Egypt. So we should probably assume that he's stepping outside God's will. Third, there's no hint in this passage that Abraham's inquired of God, that he's prayed about this, that he's talked to God about this. He's just taken his own initiative. He's taken everything into account except God. I think we can safely say by now that Abraham's acted without faith. Abram's failed the first test. He goes to Egypt because he doesn't believe that God can provide for him and his family in Canaan. We'll come back in a moment to look at the second test Abram faced. But before we do that, we'll take a moment and sing together by faith. We don't have to read too far in the story before we discover the second that test of Abraham's faith. This time the issue is security. Will God protect him and his loved ones? Apparently Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a, a godlike status. He's a ruthless horror of a man. If he sees a woman he wants, he takes her where he wants, when he wants, from whoever he wants. Pharaoh's reputation in this regard is, is so troubling that Abram fears for his own life as he takes Sarah to Egypt. So he comes up with a plan, and Sarah agrees. They pretend to be brother and sister, so that Pharaoh won't kill Abram. So Abram, who didn't believe that God would provide, now doesn't believe that God will protect. He's failed the second test too. Remember, by the way, God's promise to bless the whole earth through Abraham's descendants. How is that going to work if God allows Abraham or his wife Sarah to come to harm? Abraham simply doesn't believe anything much that God has told him. He could have derailed the whole project God had involved him in before it had even properly started. He's a disaster. My theology teacher, Dr. Packer, he talks about Abraham at this point, and he says that he was capable of repeatedly shabby deceptions, which actually endangered his wife. He was by nature a man of little moral courage, altogether too anxious about his own security. It's depressing. He's a failure. Folks, before we're too hard on Abraham, Let's take a look in the mirror. Just how strong is our faith? To what extent are we trusting God these days? Oh, but we say, I have trusted Jesus. When I was X years old, I heard the gospel, I prayed the prayer, and I trusted Jesus to save me from my sins and to win me a place in heaven. I've done what Abraham did. At the start of chapter 12, I've left the world and I've set off on my journey with Jesus. For many of us, I hope for all of us, that's true. But it's equally true that for many of us, we're not trusting Jesus now. Not really. Not with the real stuff of life. We're not trusting him to provide for us and our children. 
That's why we overwork and overcommit ourselves financially, because we believe it's down to us to provide our kids with a good life. We're not trusting him for our protection. It's our concern for our kids and for our, our loved ones and, and ourselves that often extends beyond a healthy awareness of risk and responsibility into a, a paranoid form of helicopter parenting. We believe that we and not God are the ones who finally keep our kids from all harm. When it comes to how we live our lives, we educate ourselves to the max. We curate a perfect CV to death, all to ensure that we can choose every path for ourselves in life. And we do all of these things so that we can avoid at all costs actually having to trust God for anything. We say we're trusting God, but we're not. We say we live by faith, but we don't. Not yet. Like Abram, most of the time, most of us are failing the faith test. We've seen Abram's lack of faith right at the start of this story. and It's deflating, it's disappointing. Where do we go from here? What, if anything, can we learn from this part in the story? How in particular can we continue to call this man the father of the faithful, as Paul did in his letter to Rome or to Galatia? How can we call this guy faithful? Well, it's not by saying that he has a strong faith. He clearly doesn't. It's not by saying that he's good at trusting or faithing. He clearly isn't. The only thing that we can really say about faith in this story is that it seems to depend not so much on the quality of the faith expressed or exercised, so much as the quality of the one in whom that faith is placed. Abram's faith has substance not because of how well he's trusting but because of the utter faithfulness of the one he's trusting in. Folks, it's on that basis and that basis alone that any one of us could ever be described as having faith in God. You see, we're like Abram. We fail our, our faith tests all the time. But this episode of faltering faith and other episodes will come to soon enough we'll see that Abram really does blaze the trail. He really is the father of the faithful. The failing faithful. The rest of the Bible is full of the failing faithful. Church history is full from cover to cover of the failing faithful. You and I today, if we have accepted Jesus, are the latest in a long line of the failing But don't worry about that. Paul tells Timothy in his second letter, even if we're faithful, faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Our ongoing relationship with God doesn't depend on our faithfulness. It depends on his. 
not just brilliant. I love that. I'd like to wrap things up this morning by putting all of this, this incident, Abram's failing faith, back into a broader biblical context. You may know that the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, which tell the story of human beginnings uh, before the time of Abraham, that those chapters follow a repeated pattern. Human sin is followed by God's judgment and then by God's grace. And that cycle turns. So Adam and Eve go through the cycle. Cain goes through the cycle. Noah goes through the cycle. The pattern's repeated over and over, except when we get to the last cycle. We thought about it last week. The Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Old Testament scholar Gerhard von Rath spotted how this story seems incomplete in light of all that's gone before. He says the tower, the story of the Tower of Babel concludes with God's judgment on humankind. There is no word of grace. The whole story so far seems to break off in shrill dissonance. And the question now arises even more urgently. Is God's relationship to humans now finally broken? Is God's gracious forbearance now exhausted? Has God rejected humanity in wrath forever? Do you you see what he's saying? The story so far has been one of yes, sin, yes, judgment, but always grace. And halfway through chapter 11 of Genesis, we're left wondering, has God's grace run out? The answer in the second half of Genesis 11 comes in the form of a family tree from Terah to Abraham. It comes in the form of God's blessing to Abraham. I will bless you. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Folks, God's grace is at work once more in a newer and a bigger way. And it won't be thwarted. Not by the hubris of Babel and not by Abram's failing faith. God's grace will work relentlessly through Abraham and his failing family. Until one day a man is born. One man whose faith won't fail. One who trusts in God. Jesus Christ, God's faithful son. Through his saving work on the cross, through the spreading of the gospel by his followers, God's great blessing promised to Abraham really is going to reach the whole world. Folks, Abraham failed his test of faith. But his failure couldn't stop God's grace. And rest assured, neither will yours. Or mine. In a week when new title restrictions have been introduced, we take time this morning to pray for those struggling to adapt. For the people, businesses and organisations who have already been greatly affected, we consider what we can do to help. In particular, we think about our church family. How can we support those who have been weakened in their faith? How might we continue our work as disciples of Jesus?
We ask God to share his wisdom as we bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, in a week where we have experienced changes in the way we work, how we learn and who we can gather with, we thank you God that you are never changing. You are always there to guide us, strengthen us and share your love with us all. We pray God for those who are finding things difficult, financially, emotionally and spiritually. May your presence be a blessing upon them and a comfort to know that you are always with them. As we continue to debate how best we can share fellowship as a church, Lord, we pray that you will show clear guidance not only to those involved in setting the rules and making the decisions, but also to the rest of us. We pray that each one of us may understand our role in ensuring that we as a church family are strengthened, not weakened, and help us find solutions, not excuses, to the problems we encounter. During a time when we are being told to stay apart physically, help us come together spiritually. Lord, we also pray for the healing of the earth, that your peace and justice will prevail over all nations. We pray for our leaders at all levels of society. May you guide our decision makers as they balance the health, finance and well-being of us all. Let us not forget the work done by our carers, doctors and key workers. We may no longer stand on the doorsteps to clap, but God remind us to show our appreciation for the continued work they do and give them resilience to deal with what could be difficult times ahead. Finally, we take a moment to pray for those close to us, the hurting, the lonely, and all who need healing. Guide us, O God, by your Holy Spirit, that all of our prayers and all of our lives may serve your will and show your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Folks, I'll try to be as quick as I can with a few announcements. Um, with recent developments, uh, with infection rates rising, uh, with COVID-19, there's a real sense that we're going to be in this for the long haul. Um, so I'd encourage you to keep looking for rhythms, keep looking for things that encourage you in your life with Jesus. To that end, I've put a lot of stuff in the email this week to encourage you. You might want to have a look there if you haven't had a look for a few weeks. Um, there's stuff there about praying the Psalms. Uh, have a look at that. And uh, a couple of prayer journeys that I mentioned, 40-day prayer journeys offered by the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, particularly for these times, one for trusting God and one for uh, managing transition. So have a look at those. The Rooted event for women is coming up next Saturday. That'll be a real encouragement, I think, to anyone who goes along to it. If you haven't already signed up, sign up for that on Church Suite as soon as you can. As you probably know, our congregation is active in supporting vulnerable children through the work of Home for Good. Uh, so there are a couple of things in the email this week. One's a, an update and a link to a, a film uh, where Malini Colville, the Northern Ireland representative, thanks Kirkpatrick for our partnership and also gives us an update on the work. You'll also see in the, in the email an invitation to a discussion series that's going to start in Kirkpatrick in a few weeks' time. Um, there'll be more information about that to come, but make sure you notice that in the email. As we 
continue to to be housebound more and more. It's important that as a church we continue to look out for our housebound members. One of the ways we traditionally do that sometimes is just to show someone a bit of love by delivering a, a bunch of flowers to them. Uh, Mary Rose is keen to invite you if you'd like to help us with that. So look out for that section in the email uh, where you could help with delivering flowers. And then la one last piece of uh, church family news. We were delighted this week to hear of the birth of B. Leach. Uh, so B is a daughter for Adam and Naomi. Uh, we're delighted with those guys. We're thanking God with them, but we want to be praying for them as well. Well, as we finish our time of worship together, can I just say thanks to, to Peter and to Christoph for contributing to our service. Um, as we finish off this playlist, if you've been watching it from 10 o'clock this morning, uh, there's a group, a small group of us gathering in the church building, and it's great that we're able to do that for those who can't otherwise worship uh, in this way on YouTube. Uh, so pray for us as we do that and gather this morning. But as we all head out into this week, may we go with thankful hearts and in the knowledge that salvation comes not through our goodness, but God's grace. Not through our faithfulness, but Christ's. Not through our power, but the Spirit's. May the Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, satisfy you each morning this week with his unfailing love. May we sing for joy and be glad all our days. May God bless you this week. May you grow in your love of him and grow in your faith in him. Amen. Hi, my name is Melini. I lead the work of Home for Good in Northern Ireland. Last year, you kindly gave to the work of Home for Good. We were looking to grow our team in Northern Ireland to meet the need of children in care here in Northern Ireland. I was able to welcome an intern and a project worker. Judith, our project worker, is going to be sharing a little bit of what she's been doing and hopes to do in a minute. But it's because of your generosity and your prayers that we've been able to have great opportunities this year where we've been able to engage with people thinking about adoption and fostering and journey with them. We've had um, conversations with the Trust as they've been looking at partnering with us in finding families. 250 foster families are needed in Northern Ireland and we know the church can meet this need. We know the church can be part of the solution. So thank you for standing with us. Thank you for being part of the solution. And we look forward to all God is going to do this coming year as we stand together. Thank you. Hi, my name is Judith. I have had the role of Home for Good project worker in the Southern Trust for almost a year now. It's wonderful to work alongside the Trust with the common goal of finding a home for every child who needs one. We would love to see this partnership extended to include the other trust areas here in Northern Ireland. I have the privilege of journeying with individuals and families from the point of inquiry through the assessment process and beyond. Over the past few months, I've had the joy of seeing several families and individuals come forward to begin their assessment with the Southern Trust. I've also celebrated with those who have been approved at fostering panel and with families who have welcomed precious children into their homes and lives for the first time. Over the coming weeks and months, I'm really excited to be heading up our online foundations course and information events for those living in Northern Ireland. 
This is a great opportunity to learn more about fostering and adoption from the comfort of your own home and to meet other people who share a heart for caring for vulnerable children. More information about these events and a chance to sign up can be found on the Home for Good website.